The scripture today comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 13. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. Well, if we haven't met yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm one of the pastors uh, at Exilic. And um, please do not judge me too harshly when I say that one of my favorite movie genres to this day is still romantic comedies. And one of my favorite dates all the way back 20 years ago uh, with a movie called 50 First Dates. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but it, uh, it has Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore. Adam Sandler plays this uh, sea animal veterinarian named Henry Roth, who lives in Oahu, Hawaii. And he falls in love with a local girl named Lucy, played by Drew Barrymore. And Henry Roth and Lucy serendipitously meet together and they have the most magical, romantic day together, almost the kind of story that you only see in movies. The problem was, the next day, Lucy has no recollection at all of who Henry Roth is or the magical day that they had together. And the reason for that is because several years prior, Lucy got into a car accident and now she suffers from short-term amnesia. So Lucy remembers everything prior to the accident, but she doesn't remember anything after the accident for at least longer than 24 hours. But because Henry is so smitten by Lucy, he commits to wooing her day after day after day. In fact, he does it for 50 days in a row, which is why the movie is called 50 First Dates. And at times, Henry is successful at wooing Lucy back to himself. At other times, he gets a slap in the face. But he is so madly in love with her, he is committed to wooing her back to himself, committed to helping her remember uh, their love for one another day after day after day. And eventually, they get married. They have a little girl, and the way that Henry helps Lucy remember her new identity is with a VHS tape. Only two of you might remember what that is, but that VHS tape has a sticker on it, and it says, good morning, Lucy. It's right by her pillow, and so the moment she wakes up, she sees a VHS tape that says, good morning, Lucy, and she puts it into the VCR, and it's basically a two-minute Instagram highlight reel of their new life together with the hopes that all the new memories that they've made will flood back into her mind again. Now, why do I share this story? 
Well, in many ways, I don't think we're all that different from Lucy. We too suffer from short-term amnesia, particularly when it comes to God. We have gospel amnesia. And the reason why that's so important is because at least when I think about my own life, anytime I fail or sin as a friend, a brother, a husband, a father, a pastor, anytime I fail and I sin, it is because at that moment, at that moment, I forgot who God was. I failed to remember him. Or I like the Latin phrase, coram deo, I forgot that I live under the gaze of God. I forgot that I live in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. At that moment, I forgot who he was. And as a result, I lived my life in alternative kind of way. And so this is why Paul writes to Timothy in verse 8, his young protege, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. Now, Timothy knew who Jesus was, and yet Paul says anyway to Timothy to still remember who he is. And the reason for that was because we are all Lucy's. The phrase, do not forget or remember, appears over 230 times in the Bible. Let me just read five of them for you. Exodus 13, then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out of Egypt. Psalm 78, they did not remember his power or the day when he redeemed them from the foe. Isaiah 17, you have forgotten God your Savior. You have not remembered the rock your fortress. Jeremiah 18, yet my people have forgotten me. John 15, remember what I told you. These are just five out of the 230 plus examples in scripture where it talks about all of us being a type of Lucy. And one of the reasons for that is because a part of the consequences of the fall or sin is that one of the noetic effects of sin is that sin has not only contaminated our feelings, our emotions, and our will, but sin has also contaminated our minds and our intellect. And so this is why we are prone to wander, as the, uh, the, the hymn would say, in Come Thou Fount, we are prone to wander or forget who God is. So how can we uh, combat the gospel amnesia that we face on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I don't know if you've ever traveled to some international cities, but before you get on the subway, at the ledge of the platform are three words, mind the gap. And between the ledge of the platform and getting onto the subway, there is a gap that's there, which is why it says mind the gap. And similarly, I would say that there is a gap between what you hear on Sunday and who you are on Monday. There's a gap that is there. And the more mindful we are of this gap, of what we learn on Sundays and who we are on Mondays, the more mindful we are of this gap, the easier it will be to remember who he is. Hermann Ebbinghaus, 19th century German psychologist, famous for uh, what he referred to as the forgetting curve. Uh, Ebbinghaus says that after 20 minutes, 
42% of what we just learned is lost. That means in the next 15 minutes, you will already have forgotten half of what I just said. In 24 hours, after the sun sets today, you will have already forgotten 67% of what you learned. After a month, 79%. After two months, up to 90%. Now, forgetting, not all forgetting is bad. And a part of that is because we only have a limited amount of hard drive space in our brain. Can you imagine if you remembered every single conversation you've ever had in your entire life? We would quickly run out of uh, storage in our brains. So not all forgetting is bad, but when we forget important things, that can be bad. People's names, people's birthdays, your anniversary. When you forget important things, that can be bad. So not all forgetting is bad, but when we forget important things, that can be bad. And there is no one more important than who Jesus is if he is God. Now, the tension, of course, is that oftentimes we forget a lot and we forget a lot quickly. Things go in our ear and out the other. And oftentimes we're not able to activate the, the things that we've learned from the past. And so what, what, what are some things that we can do uh, to, to make sure things stay in our long-term storage unit. Well, a few things that you can do are things like repetition, reinforcement. So one of the reasons why in our uh, community group curriculum this year we're doing sermon discussions is because we want to reinforce or repeat what you learned on Sunday midweek so we can double down on that so it doesn't just go one ear and out the other, and so it doesn't stay in a short-term uh, storage unit but in the long-term uh, storage unit. So repetition, reinforcement are all things that can be helpful to awaken old associations that we may have had uh, yesterday or the week before the month prior. And here Paul is saying to Timothy to remember Jesus. And specifically he says in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. That phrase raised from the dead highlights his divinity descended from David, highlights his humanity. Jesus Christ is 100% God, 100% human, which, which means that he is able to relate to everything that you are going through right now, even your most hard, hardest and darkest moments. Um, and this is important because oftentimes the reason why we don't remember Jesus is because we forget who he is. And so my question to all of us here today uh, as we're all on this sort of spiritual pilgrimage, uh, whether you're atheist or you've been in the church for a long time, is who is Jesus Christ to you? Uh, for Pharisees, they believe that Jesus Christ was a heretic and a blasphemer. The Romans believed that Jesus was an insurrectionist. The Jews believed that he was a political li uh, liberator. Muslims, Mormons, and modern people believe that Jesus was a good guy, a good teacher, but he was not God. And so my question again to you, no matter where you're at, where you're at is who is Jesus Christ to you? Bono, the, um, the musician in U2, in a conversation with Michka Assayas says this, the secular response to the Christ story always goes like this. He was a great prophet, obviously a very interesting guy, had a lot to say along the lines of other great prophets, be they Elijah, Muhammad, Buddha, or Confucius. But actually, Christ doesn't allow you that. 
He doesn't let you off the hook. Christ says, no, I'm not saying I'm a teacher. Don't call me teacher. I'm not saying I'm a prophet. I'm saying I'm the Messiah. I'm saying I am God incarnate. At this point, everyone starts staring at their shoes and says, oh, my God, he's going to keep saying this. So what you're left with is either Christ was who he said he was, the Messiah, or a complete nutcase. I mean, we're talking nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. Who we think Jesus Christ is will dictate how often we remember him. So if you think that Jesus Christ is nothing more than Santa Claus, you will only remember him when you need something. If Jesus Christ is a 911 emergency flare, you will only remember him when you're very desperate and you don't know what else to do. However, if Jesus Christ is God and human, you will live your life coram deo, in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. A.W. Tozer, in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, says that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So how can we remember Jesus better and better? In verse 8b and 9, Paul says, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Now, this is not the first time the Apostle Paul would be imprisoned. However, it would be his last time because he is just days away from being executed by the Emperor Nero. In the past, Paul was thrown into something called house arrest. But in house arrest, you're in a house. There's some comfort. There's some freedom. Okay, but this time he's not under house arrest, but he is under criminal arrest in what many scholars believe to be the notorious Mamertine prison, which is still located in Rome to this day and was constructed in the 7th century B.C., Unlike our modern prison systems where you can stay in prison for up to life, prisons back then were temporary holding places where you would stay for just a few days prior to your execution. The Mamertine prison in particular was two chambers, one on the top and one on the bottom. Both were underground, and you were lowered into the chambers through that hole that you see in the top. That hole was the only source of light and air and ventilation. That chamber could hold up to 47 people. However, there were no beds, there were no sinks, there were no showers, there were no toilets. So you can imagine the putrid stench of defecation that emanated from within these walls. The lower chamber, which you were also lowered to uh, through, through that hole, was even worse because that chamber was even darker, had less air, had less light, had less ventilation. Some describe being lowered into that second chamber like being lowered into hell itself. The stench alone was enough to make you vomit. And it is under this setting, this context, that the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And what does he say here? You can chain me, but you cannot chain the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, 
sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The Bible, according to Hebrews 4, is not a dead book, but it is very much alive and active. In fact, the Bible doesn't just contain words, it actually speaks. And it doesn't just speak, it actually does things. It comforts, it encourages, and brazens life. It convicts and pierces our hearts. It doesn't just say things, it actually does things as well. And one of the fascinating things about the Bible is the longer you read the Bible, the more you will discover that you are no longer reading it, but it is actually reading you. You see, the Bible in many ways is like a mirror or a window that shows us the deepest recesses of our hearts. The more you read the Bible, you will discover you are not just reading it, but it is actually reading you. But just as we all have different opinions about Jesus, we also have different opinions about his word. Richard Dawkins, in his, uh, in his book, The God Delusion, Dawkins says, to be fair, much of the Bible is not systematically evil, but just plain weird, as you would expect of a chaotically cobbled together anthology of disjointed documents, composed, revised, translated, distorted, and improved by hundreds of anonymous authors, editors, and copyists, unknown to us and mostly unknown to each other, spanning nine centuries. And I could, I could give you a bunch of other quotes from Christopher Hitchens and others that also have the same posture when it comes to the Bible. But let me read you one that counters this from the late Billy Graham. And Graham says the Bible was written by 40 writers over a period of 1,600 years in 66 books. And the great theme from one end of the Bible to the other is redemption, God's love for the human race and God redeeming man and bringing man back to himself after man had rebelled against God. That's what the Bible is all about. Down through the years, it's been ridiculed, burned, refuted, destroyed, but it lives on. It is the anvil that has worn out many hammers. Most books are born, live a few short years, then go the way of all the earth. They're forgotten, but not the Bible. The Bible is preserved, it lives on. So this is one of the reasons why after we read scripture, we do this liturgical thing where we say the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God endures forever and ever and ever, which is why to this day, it is still the best-selling book of all time 2,000 years later. Now, you do not have to believe everything in the Bible to be a Christian. Let me just say that again. You do not need to believe everything in the Bible to be a Christian. So if you have questions like, did Adam and Eve have a belly button because they didn't have an umbilical cord? I get it. What about that talking snake in Genesis 3? I get it. How did Jonah live in a fish for three days and be Ubered with that fish from Tarshish to Nineveh? I get it. How did Noah shove all those animals into the ark? I get it. But rather than starting at the margins, start at the center. And who is at the center of Scripture? Who is Scripture mainly about? It's about the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
who, by the way, did many things as well that defied the laws of nature, turned water into wine, walked on water, and he did the most anti-scientific thing of all, the only person to ever rise again from the dead, not three hours later, but three full days later. And if Jesus is able to do this, it begins to get easier to believe in the margins. Certainly the one that invented the laws of nature can suspend the laws of nature if you wanted to. Don't start at the margins, start at the center. So you don't have to believe everything in the Bible to be a Christian, but the longer you're a Christian, the more you believe everything in the Bible. Spurgeon says, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. And so my question to you is, when you think about the regular cadence of your week, is scripture something that you visit like Paris, or is it actually a place like New York, a place where you live? When you think about the regular cadence of your week, where is scripture in that in your story, the rhythms of your week, it will be impossible to remember who he is apart from his word. Hudson Taylor, who had a profound influence on my life and in moving to China, Hudson Taylor says, do not have your concert first and then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God and prayer and get first of all into harmony with him. I think a modern, more contemporary version would be, before you open up your phone or turn it on, get in tune with him. It is amazing what your life could become like if you were to just read one psalm and just spend a minute in prayer. Uh, your life could transform just by doing that uh, spiritual discipline. So what can you do tangibly on a daily basis to remember who he is. But Paul goes on to say it's not enough for us to simply remember him, but we have to reflect him as well. The point of information is always transformation. And so in verse 10 he says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, one common misconception about the Apostle Paul is that in his former life, he was Saul, and that after his conversion, he became the Apostle Paul. But the truth is, the Apostle Paul was always Saul, and Saul was always the Apostle Paul. And what I mean by that is Saul was his Hebrew name, the Apostle Paul was his Greek name. So Saul was always Saul, Paul was always Paul, just like Jesus' Hebrew name is Yeshua, his Greek name is Jesus, from which we get the word transliteration Jesus. Some of you have a Chinese name and an American name, Korean name and an American name. It's no different with Saul and Paul. So Saul was always Saul, Paul was always Paul, but what we do know about the Apostle Paul is that he did have a former life. And it was akin to being a member of ISIS, Boko Haram, or the North Korean regime. The Apostle Paul not only hated Christians, but he killed them as well. So how does one person go from killing Christians to actually being killed as a Christian? How does one go to, to endure something like a Mamertine prison? How does one go to writing half the New Testament? 
when he was such a persecutor of the church. And I think the reason for that transformation in the Apostle Paul's life by which he reflects him is because Paul knew that as much as he has to endure, he remembered that Jesus endured far more than he ever did for him. Jesus Christ endured going from the paradise of heaven to the slums of Bethlehem. Paul remembered that he had to endure going from an indestructible body to a destructible body. Paul remembered that Jesus had to endure going from the Father's right hand to being betrayed and backstabbed by his best friends and even family members. Paul remembered that Jesus went from a carpenter where he would hammer nails into pieces of wood to dying like a criminal where nine-inch nails would now be pierced into his hands and into his feet. Paul remembered that Jesus went from eating in the banqueting table of heaven above to now drinking the cup of God's wrath on his behalf. Paul remembered those things that Jesus had to endure for him. And because Paul knew that he was always at the forefront of Jesus' mind, he put Jesus on the forefront of his mind. Jesus did all of those things for us because he never forgot who we were. In Isaiah 49, 15, it says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. And why doesn't God ever forget us? Because you don't forget about something if it's important to you. So how important is Jesus to you? Now, personally for me, it's far too easy to not remember who Jesus is. And uh, I, I think Tim Keller said it best when he said that the biggest problem that Christianity faces, the biggest threat to Christianity is not atheism, but apathy. And oftentimes, familiarity breeds apathy. So how can we make Jesus afresh on our hearts again? And I think what we need is to have our imaginations baptized over and over again through the power of stories. So let me tell you one story before we are sent off. There was once a woman who went to a, her local Barnes & Noble, and she picked up a book because she heard great reviews about this book. And she began to read the opening pages of this book, but she couldn't even finish chapter one because the book was so dull and so boring. And so she closed the book. But by chance, she happened to go on a date with the author of this book. And they began to date and get to know one another, and they slowly became romantically involved. And so she decided to pick up this book again. But this time, she began to read the book with a fresh new perspective, fresh new eyes. What did he mean by this? What is he trying to say here? Everything about how she approached this book was now different. Her relationship with the book had now changed because her relationship with this person had changed. And oftentimes when we read the Bible, it is like this book. It's impossible to get out of Genesis chapter 3 let alone Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But the more you fall in love with who God is, the more you love his words. And honestly, the older you get, 
uh, you cannot get enough of it. And so the more you love him, the more you love his words. And the more you love his words, the more you love him. And around and around we go. You know, oftentimes we don't need to be told anything new. We just need to be reminded of what's true. And here is what is true. You are always on the forefront of God's mind. He will never forget you. Though a mother may even forget her baby, Jesus will never forget you. Every time he looks at his scars in his glorified body in heaven, the only one with scars, he is always thinking and reminded of you. And so my question to you today is, what can you do to remember him? If something is out of sight, it is out of mind. What can be your metaphorical two-minute VHS tape that you put in front of your way so that he is always in your mind and not out of sight? Let's pray together.